Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 515th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is mentoring cancer survivors through backyard vegetable gardens. We're talking with Carrie Smith about Harvest for Health. Carrie is the Home Grounds team co-leader in the Alabama Cooperative Extension System. Working with team members, she develops, supports, and delivers programs that inspire smart yards for home landscapes. She is also the state program coordinator for the Alabama Master Gardener Program, a large volunteer group assisting the same mission of promoting sustainable smart yard landscapes. Carrie has worked for the education department at Callaway Gardens, been a school teacher, an estate gardener, and many things in between. Her current priority for the Master Gardener Program is Harvest for Health, a five-year garden mentor project in partnership with the University of Alabama at Birmingham's Comprehensive Cancer Center and funded in part by the National Institute of Health. Through this project, Master Gardeners mentor cancer survivors learning how to grow a backyard vegetable garden. Welcome to the show today, Carrie. Are you ready to rock? Thanks. I'm excited to be here and visit about our project. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. Well, first, I guess I'll I'll go back to uh, Callaway Gardens for just a bit and and how I came to Auburn University and Alabama Extension currently. I was only there for a few years, but it's a large botanical garden and there was an education department there. So I really enjoyed interacting with people and and talking about plants and teaching about gardening and and working side by side with volunteers. So I thought this was a, a fun next step for me as a state coordinator for Extension Volunteers, the Master Gardener Program. And Alabama, and I've, I've been here next spring will be 17, 18. I'm not very good with math. <laughs> wow. 18 years. Yes, yes. Wow. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're proud of our program. We've, we've got a strong network. So tell me about the Master Gardener program. Sure. Well, it started in Alabama in 1981. It started out in Washington in 1973. But, but basically, it's a program where extension agents 
recruit and train volunteers to help with primarily horticulture programs, home horticulture in particular, but they do help with all sorts of other programs. If you can stretch your imagination a little bit, horticulture and plants really are a big part of a lot of our daily life, whether we think about it or not. So our extension agents who do nutrition programs or food safety programs, 4-H programs, extension volunteers, master gardeners, they, they work with a wide array of uh, extension programs here in the state, and I would think other states as well. It's still currently in all 50 states of the U.S. And becoming a master gardener, you go through an education program, right? Absolutely. Every state's a little different. Our curriculum is close to 50 hours. Others may have a little more or a little less, but yes, we do horticulture A to Z. It starts with botany, and we go through all the different kind of plant categories, if you will, from fruit trees to ornamentals to turf grass, vegetables. Again, A to Z, we try to cover it all so that if if they are uh, recruited to do a given program, say rain barrels, or they're they're called and ask questions, uh, we have a helpline that's toll-free and any gardener can call and ask their their question. We we try to, you know, have them a, a good resource library, both through their training uh, and or they know where to find the answer. We try to teach them that. It's not that we expect you to know all the answers, but we're trying to teach you where to find the answer. Nice. And so the Master Gardener program is in all 50 states. It's an incredible program to get you started down the path of growing food in your yard. And it also includes volunteer opportunities, right? Oh, absolutely. And that really is where we connected with UAB, Dr. Wendy DeMarc at University of Alabama, Birmingham, here in Alabama. She called me several years ago, and and that's really where it got started. She read an article about Master Gardener in her local newspaper and thought, hmm, this kind of blends in with an idea I've been having. And and her idea was, yeah, if we mentor people to learn vegetable gardening, it'll build their confidence, and then they'll keep doing it. So, and this new program you're talking about is Harvest for Health. And I, mm-hmm. I just want to do a, a little precursor to you talking about Harvest for Health. About three or four months ago, I got on the internet and I started doing urban farm searches online. And your program was one of the ones that came up. And Harvest for Health is helping people with cancer put gardens in and eat more healthfully. And I was so impressed with what I read. It's like, man, I got to get her on the podcast. <laughs> So here we are today. Thank you for being here to talk about that. Tell us what Harvest for Health is. Sure. Well, first of all, I need to to make sure I'm clear on this. All the cancer survivor participants in the study are cancer survivors, and they've had doctor's permission to participate, meaning their health has recovered enough after treatment that their physician feels that, you know, they're up for the physical activity, being outdoors, hands in the dirt, et cetera, et cetera. But in short, they, once they're approved, they're in the study for a two-year cycle. They either get their garden in year one or in year two, meaning if you're year two, you've got to wait 12 months before you get your garden. But they do that. So, of course, this is research. We have to have a control group, right? Oh, yes. And so the people who wait 12 months are still getting the same battery of physical tests and blood work and that sort of thing so that we can compare levels of different things and know, okay, their health starting on day one was this, on day 365 it was this, 
and then we can compare the group that's getting the garden right away and the mentoring uh, versus the people who had to wait for the second year uh, to get their garden and their mentor. That's kind of it in a nutshell. We provide all the, the supplies for the garden. They choose one of two garden styles. They have a, a raised bed option, which is a four foot by eight foot, just slide together wooden kit that we purchase from Big Box Store. Or they can have four self-watering patio boxes that come on wheels. We've been real impressed with those. Uh, then they get, they get plants, they get fertilizer, they get pest management materials. Again, a, a mentor who checks on them once a month. That's the master gardener that we've trained for the project. And, and it just it runs from there. Sometimes they really click, the, the cancer survivor and the master gardener. They'll become friends, and they, they still see each other even nice. after the 12 months is finished. But um, the point is to see if the cancer survivor will keep gardening. You know, if, if we're trying to start a new life skill, we want to know if they'll maintain it by themselves. So they get the mentor for 12 months. But then we need a period of stepping away and not checking all the time just to make sure. And it's been impressive. i got to say, Greg, it's been so impressive. Over 85% of the cancer survivors in the study were still gardening one month, uh, uh, sorry, one year later after wow. losing their mentor. So that's, that's a pretty good success rate, I think. Yes, it is. So this is an actual academic study. Are you studying just whether they'll continue gardening after the fact, or are you also looking at their health? Right, absolutely. It's much more than just will they, but that's kind of a hope because the preliminary, the, the I guess I should say officially they're pilot studies, Mm-hmm. The pilot studies showed that, yes, the participants increased their physical activity. The garden became a motivator to kind of, you know, get up and go and do something. They not only got out to go see their garden, but with surveys we know they were doing more than that. They might go to the park or they might park their car several more steps away from the store, but they they realized that that physical activity made them feel different and feel better. Hmm. Um, change their diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only are they eating what they're growing, but they're expanding their diet. They're even buying different things at the store that previously maybe they didn't have in their diet. So physical activities change. Diet has changed both for the good and those stress markers. So because we're working with a medical teaching school, UAB, they're doing all of, of that part of, of the sampling as well. So we know that their stress markers are reduced. We know that blood pressure is improved. A few people have lost a few pounds as a result. Their physical functioning is better. Just grip strength, just just a little something like that. You wouldn't think that would affect someone, but grip strength has improved. So lots of other things too, but we're just, it, it's impressive to see and I'm really proud. I think that's my biggest win that I feel like for, for the Master Gardener program in Alabama and us extension agents that are working with the program is we've got medical research now that's going to prove yes. why gardening is good for you. Yes. And granted, it's great for cancer survivors. You know, they, they really have an impetus to, to change their lifestyle, their life habits, but for the rest of us too, you know? Right. Well, you know, I, I know for me that I just, if I'm out digging in the dirt, I just feel better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's 
talk about the connection between cancer and chemicals a little bit. And I'm not talking about specifically, but there is there is an assumption, I'll put it that way, that there's a connection between chemical pesticides, herbicides, and that kind of stuff and cancers. And how are you addressing that in this program? Well, I'm glad you asked. And, and I actually, the last several years, have been using the term synthetic pesticides versus organic sourced pesticides. Oh, yes. Here in the Deep South, uh, I'm in Alabama. That's part of the Deep South. And we have a very long warm season here. We also have a lot of humidity. So we have a, a fairly high pest pressure from both diseases and pest insects on all of our plants, but especially our food crops. So we, we do have a strong program here in uh, integrated pest management that both does research and promotes using the organic chemistries for pest management. And we have taken from that and applied it to Harvest for Health because we do know as cancer survivors, they're more aware of things that may have initiated their cancer. They're certainly more aware of what they eat. And so they, they've either asked the question or we've certainly promoted, if it hasn't occurred to them, that we're using all organic chemistries in our pest management. So things like soap spray, we just happen to be using Safer products. Uh, mm-hmm. They donated all the products we need, so a shout-out to Safer brand. Nice. Uh, we're using their soap spray and their BT powder. That covers most of the insect pests that we have. And then we're using organic sourced fungicide as well for that pressure that we get for, from fungal diseases. Yeah. When we were having our pre-conversation, when I asked that question, see, I don't, for whatever reason, my brain didn't go to organic pesticides. I just think pesticides as chemical pesticides. And you made that distinction between synthetic and organic. And, mm-hmm. and, and I really appreciate that. That kind of opened my eyes a little bit more because there are organic solutions for caterpillars. Let's talk about that. Absolutely. So BT, we abbreviate it because who wants to walk around saying Bacillus thuringiensis <laughs> right? in the store? Not to mention the retail outlet might not know what you're asking for. But yes, it's it's a soil bacteria uh, naturally occurring. There's several strains. We, we even use it if anyone has a, an ornamental fish pond or a little water feature. There's uh, floating dunks mm-hmm. that are, uh, I guess you'd say, oh, what's the term I want, but that they have a different BT to prevent mosquito larvae from maturing mm-hmm. and turning into mosquitoes. We don't like those biting insects. Right. But at any rate, for the vegetable garden, it's in powder form. Usually, I have seen it in liquid application as well, but we're using the powder form just because we, we think visually we can teach people about it. We do emphasize that the organic chemistries break down very quickly in the environment. That's actually the whole reason why they are approved for organic uh, gardening is that they break down quickly. But this powder will kill any caterpillar that it gets on and it won't affect any it won't affect any other insect groups. So only the caterpillar stage of an insect and as we know that's either going to be moths or butterflies. And, you know, we're, we're not trying to have a butterfly garden here. If it's eating right. my cabbage, it's a pest. Yeah. Uh, so I need to get rid of it. Yeah. 
And you also mentioned a little bit earlier IPM. Can you kind of address what that is so our listeners know? Absolutely. And this is a big part of our our training. Really, the training for the the Master Gardener volunteers is kind of a refresher on vegetable gardening and the specifics and, of course, the study itself. But with the cancer survivors, we we do an extra training just for them. And we really do emphasize this IPM strategy because pest management is all about prevention. IPM is another mouthful in our science world, but prevention is what it it really means. Mm -hmm. If I'm out there every day scouting the garden, we emphasize that. We give them a little collection jar with a magnifier on top. You know, if you see a bug and you don't know what it is, put it in the jar, take a picture, send it to your master gardener mentor. They'll help you figure out what it is. They'll help you figure out what to do about it. If you see a brown spot on a leaf, go ahead and pick it off, but send us a picture of it. If we prevent disease, as soon as we see a problem and we jump on it quickly, then we prevent it spreading over my whole plant or over my whole garden. If we see an insect when it's tiny, it's easier to demolish it then than once I have a whole horde of them on my whole plant. You know, so prevention is the key, and we try to promote that. And actually, I just thought of this, Greg. It's another way to encourage them that they've got to be in the garden every day. And guess what? That's promoting exercise, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So IPM stands for? Integrated Pest Management. And um, I was lucky enough, so I went back to school late in life. I uh, got my uh, master's degree when I was, or my bachelor's degree when I was 44 and my master's when I was 46. And mm-hmm. as part of my bachelor's degree, I got a minor in botany. So I, mm-hmm. I was, I got a whole semester of integrated pest management. And it's really a, what the name says, it's how do we look at an entire system and in, integrate the solutions, right? Right. Well, we, we teach everybody in our extension programs that really the, the pesticides, no matter which one you choose, synthetic or organic, really should be your last strategy. So, you know, we try to exclude pests. We try to have a, a smart planting season so we're ahead of the pest or we're after the pest. But it's, it's really about learning the cycles of nature, whether it be the pest itself, the plant, the weather conditions that either support the pest, disease, or insect, support the beneficials. The beneficial insects don't come out really until mid to late spring. So it, it takes them a little longer to get their population up, whereas the pest insects, they can explode their population overnight. So just learning, like you said, it's, it's learning the natural cycle of each piece of the puzzle, I guess. You know, the plant, the weather, the soil, the disease, what we can do, you know, we, we can have a raised bed and then that soil is a little bit warmer than an in-ground planting bed for the garden. Mm-hmm. So warmer soil gives those plants an extra jump, gets them up a little faster. You know, what are the advantages that we can give that plant so that it can withstand the pest problem a little better while we're waiting on those beneficials, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've noticed in my garden that the healthier the soil and the healthier the environment, yeah. the less problem I have with bugs. Absolutely, absolutely. We, we don't teach our home gardeners to just go out willy-nilly and spray something 
an insecticide in particular as a preventative because uh, even with the organic chemistries, neem oil is an example, it's going to be just as toxic to a beneficial insect as it is to a pest insect. It breaks down faster, but we need to focus on our target problem and not use a broad spectrum approach. Yeah. And I've also found that I get emails and questions from people all the time. I've got a bug problem. What do I treat it with? Let's figure out what it is first. Right, exactly. (laughs) We have to figure out what it is. In fact, recently I had really something very fascinating happen. This guy was losing some of his broccoli. It's probably a year or so ago, and it usually happened at night. And he said, what do I spray it with? It's like, well, Mm -hmm. we have to figure out what the problem is. So he spent a couple of weeks trying to figure out what was eating his his broccolis and cabbages and that kind of stuff and wasn't I'm figuring I'm so curious. I'm so curious. Right? Yeah, so he couldn't figure it out and mm-hmm. finally put up a camera at night. The rats in his ah. were coming in and they were eating them. And so we have to determine what mm-hmm. the problem is before we know how to treat it. Yes. Uh, again, he, he could have put out an insecticide. He could have put out BT powder thinking it was caterpillars. Right. But that's not going to do a darn thing to a mouse or a rat. Yep. So, yeah, we're, we're wasting time. We're wasting product. We're wasting money. Figure out what it is first. And and, and it, sometimes, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it was rats. I know, um, right? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes oh, and, it's something that you least expect. Yeah. Well, and here's the rest of the story. In February of this year was our, my 40th high school reunion. And mm-hmm. he showed up there. He and I actually graduated high school together. And, oh my goodness. And not knowing. And I showed up there and he knew me because of I'm the work I do here. And he says, Hey Greg, I'm the rat guy. Uh, <laughs> so that was a fun follow up to it. That is. Yeah. Yeah. We got to figure out what we're looking at. And, exactly. and I think, you know, that's kind of the hard lesson that was learned in the mid 1900s was putting out a chemistry broad spectrum is just not a good idea, period. We affect all sorts of off-target organisms, and and that's just never a good approach. So let's figure out what it is first, and then we'll know exactly what we need to do. We'll be more efficient all the way around. Amen to that. So how can somebody volunteer for the program? Sure. Well, in Alabama, and again, I'll emphasize this is a research project, so at the moment, it's limited to Alabama. When I was visiting with uh, Janice, your coworker, yesterday, uh-huh. I did remember there's a researcher who was formerly at University of Alabama, Birmingham, UAB. Her name is Dr. Cindy Blair, and she is now in New Mexico. And so she's going to do an expanded study over there. So that's kind of closer to your neck of the woods. Nice. So that's one way, you know, folks that are master gardeners can get involved, being tuned into their extension agent, their extension office. But I think also, you know, maybe we step outside of the research that we're doing and and think of smaller scale, you know. I think someone who is a skilled, successful gardener could reach out to a community garden uh, or a a nonprofit who's doing some sort of garden project that supports a local food bank, perhaps. 
but reach out to them and start communicating, hey, I saw this or I heard about this, and what do you think about us trying to support cancer survivors, either in learning how to garden or learning how we grow produce or just some of the concepts of, of fresh produce and how it's grown? You know, a a cancer clinic, maybe there's a cancer clinic somewhere and they've never thought about having a community garden or a garden project to support their patients that come to that facility. Who knows, a small group of volunteers might initiate something locally in in that way. So even though we're doing it as a research project, uh, I hope that there will be uh, some spinoffs from this so that, that people get creative and think about ways to promote to, um, for that matter, I'm bad about interrupting my thoughts, but (laughs) this came to me. So, you know, what about other groups that have compromised health situations, Mm -hmm. people with mental health issues, but, but plenty of people I think can benefit from the therapeutic action of gardening. Like you said, you just feel better when you get outside. I know we have to protect ourselves from the sun, but there is something about being outside, having green space around you, fresh air that just kind of gets your brain clicking in a new direction, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. So this program is a study that you're doing in Alabama, but it seems to me that you might be putting together this program as a a deliverable that other states could do. I think they will. I don't know that I'm going to promote it that way per se, but we are going to work up the way that we've implemented it here, uh, how we do our training, give some tips, uh, advice, if you will. You Mm -hmm. know, if someone wanted to start this as a volunteer project, we're certainly hoping, and, and we've already heard for that matter, from several of our local master gardener groups in different counties who've said, hey, what's going to happen to this in two years when it's not a research project? And we're like, well, if if y'all want to pick it up and, you know, continue mentoring people in some way, you know, we will have some, some tools available that, again, kind of outline how we've done it and then present it in a way, describe it in a way to encourage people to adapt it for their local use. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned from it. Well, Greg, that's just such an interesting question. I think it relates to gardening in so many ways. To me, working with plants is both an art and a science. Do you? Oh, yes, absolutely. Again, we can learn the cycles of things, but you got to get your hands in there, and you yep. got to do it. you got to prune a grapevine before you really understand <laughs> right? how to prune one. So... <laughs> Asking this question brings a lot of things to mind. Well, just overwatering something. So I'll do mm. something as, as little uh, or, or as seemingly little as a potted plant. So I have a lot of shade in my yard, and so patio gardening is about the best I can do, and, and shade plants in the ground. But but I love containers. I love patio containers. And my my first year out, I... Uh, I overwatered my impatience. Impatients don't need a lot of water, but I just knew they would heat stress, you know? It's hot here in the summer, so I'm watering them every day. Well, guess what? That's what I'm telling people now is the best way to kill a plant is to overwater it. Yes. But it's the little things, I think. We learn from failure, but I do think the little details about plants are sometimes the things that we overlook first. If a plant is wilted, 
it might or might not need water. It might be that it's overwatered. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I encourage people. So we have a, a, a lot of education that we do here around fruit trees in mm-hmm. Arizona. And I encourage people to get an $8 moisture meter and use it. Ah, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. more often than not, they're killing their fruit trees because mm-hmm. they're overwatering them. Actually, our, our plant diagnostic lab, the lead pathologist there, he, he says that over and over again in all of his trainings mm-hmm. with the agents or with the volunteers that uh, the number one way to injure a plant is to overwater it. Yeah. And the number one cause of the problems that come on, on samples to the lab is that someone loved it too much is the way he puts it. Yeah. Get yourself a moisture meter. Yeah. What do you consider your biggest success? Well, honestly, I think it's this project. We're not yet done with the Harvest for Health research study, but I think this will probably be the most important thing of my career. Mm, nice. We're really changing. At first, I didn't see it as big as it is, but, but we're we're going to have over 500 cancer survivors in, Combined, now that's our early pilot studies and mm-hmm. this larger study, will have, have involved over 500 cancer survivors, not to mention all the Master Gardener Extension volunteers who've been involved. So we've, we've touched a lot of lives with this, and I, I think that the cancer survivors, from what we've seen so far, they're, they're promoting that they feel good about it, they're excited about it, they're sharing it. So who knows how far that so-on effect might go. So... Yeah, I think Harvest for Health is, is probably the, the biggest thing I've done. I'm giving you a virtual high five and yay over here. Congratulations. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate it. What drives you? Well, I, I, I think it's the volunteers right now. I love plants. Certainly that's a motivator for me. You said you went back to school kind of late in life. Mm-hmm. I did too. I started on one career path and, and changed it to horticulture and extension. So I am enamored with plants. I love walking in the woods in winter. But working with volunteers can be a motivator. And, and certainly the volunteers who've helped us on this project continue to give me motivation. You know, they'll share a story. I helped, and I make up a name, Susie. Today in the garden, we had our, our second or third home visit, and she picked her first zucchini, and she was so excited about oh, it. Nice. You know, it's, it feels like a little thing, but for that person who just grew their first zucchini plant, little do they know they're going to have more than they can eat, right? <laughs> right. But, but it's, I don't know, maybe it's like a, a kindergarten teacher who watches a child for the first time spell their name. Those, those little, seemingly little steps can feel really huge to someone when it's their very first step, you know? Yeah, nice. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Well, one of my favorites, I guess I will start by saying favorite authors. So I, I love insects. I think they're just one of the coolest things on the planet. Right. And Whitney Cranshaw is, uh, I think now, a retired professor from Colorado. But at any rate, he wrote several books on insects. And this one might be a little big for some people, but I just think it's done so well. It's, it's titled Bugs Rule. Nice. And it's written by Whitney Cranshaw and Richard Raddick. And it's it's a more approachable way to understanding insects. But, but I guess the reason I like it is because, back to what we were talking about earlier, 
You know, there's there are bad bugs in the garden, but there's plenty of good ones too. And so anything that, that helps people just embrace the whole arena of insects, I think is a, a good lesson to learn for any type of gardening, whether we're growing flowers or growing vegetables. What's the big picture? You know, what are we dealing with? We got to know what it is first before we even know if that's what's causing the problem or not. And, and I think Bugs Rule is a, a nice, approachable book. Nice. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Be patient. Gardening, again, this is a gardening podcast, so I presume most of your listeners are interested in growing plants of some kind. But be patient. You're going to learn as many things from your failures as you do from your successes. Yes. I, I encourage everybody in any program to keep a journal. If you've never kept a journal before, start one now. You're not going to remember six months ago what that plant variety was, what the weather conditions were. I know there's all sorts of stuff on the Internet where we can look up historic data, but if you keep your own, then you know what's happening in your yard. And what's happening in your yard might not be what's happening in my yard. So Even if we're next-door neighbors. Exactly. The soil could be different. You've got a big tree. I don't have a big tree. All sorts of factors affect that. So keeping a journal, be patient, learn from your experiences in your own garden, certainly reference scientific resources. That's going to be a good place to start, but your own experiences help build on that. And and that's what's going to mean more to your garden in your particular location. Yay. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Carrie. You are so welcome, Greg. I've enjoyed sharing our project. Oh, and I've loved hearing about it. So how can our listeners get a hold of your program? The URL is a little clunky, you know, but I think this will be easy enough. So this is part of our uh, Master Gardener Extension webpage, mg.aces.edu slash harvest for health. Perfect. And then UAB also has a website, of course. Theirs is uab.edu slash shp slash h4, the number 4h. Nice. And we'll have all of that information on the show notes page as well. Did you want to give out your email address? Certainly. It starts with my last name, S-M-I-T-H, and then K as in kitchen, P as in Paul, at Auburn. Nice. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash harvest for health. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. 
Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.